Welcome to this podcast summary of the IAASB meeting held in New York this week, September 18th to the 22nd. I'm Matt Waldron, Technical Director, and I'm joined today by Professor Arnold Schilder, our Chairman of the IAASB, and IAASB members Megan Zietzman, who is our Deputy Chair, Fiona Campbell, and Ron Sololi, also members of the IAASB, and welcome all. Before I, before I turn over to Arnold, I just wanted to make the listeners aware of a recent publication issued by a joint professional skepticism working group on a, a publication called Towards Enhanced Professional Skepticism, which was authored by our three standard setting boards, the Audit, Ethics, and Education Board, outlining observations of the current environment and sets out actions to the global standard setting boards can take, as well as other stakeholders to enhance professional skepticism. This particular publication is available on our website and offers around seven different themes that we heard uh, throughout our consultation period around professional skepticism. So just wanted to make you aware of that publication being available. So now with that, maybe I could turn to you, Arnold, for some overall observations from the meeting this week. Okay, thank you, Matt. Um, yeah, as always, but certainly also this time, I'm still a bit overwhelmed by the many intense discussions we've had, very constructive discussions, I would say very helpful, but it's really amazing how much comes through in a full week. Um, and I'm very grateful to all the board members and technical advisors and staff to make this happen, including our observers. There's one point I would like to highlight and then starting first with some of the key projects which was on Wednesday morning. We had a full Wednesday morning for the first time in history, a joint board session of the ethics board and the auditing board. And uh, Stavros Tomodakis, the ethics chair, and myself chaired that. And we discussed, um, let's say, our levels of cooperation. We see more and more uh, relationships on a number of projects where we need each other. Um, and I thought, the whole sense of cooperation and willingness to progress and listen to each other was, was very impressive. And that came clearly out of that meeting. Uh, so we discussed, let's say, matters of coordination and principles and how we could do it. Um, we discussed uh, how, in case we would have some disagreements or different views, how we would bring that together. And there was a strong sense in this joint session, anyhow, we have to sort that out together. And uh, we had a practical example, um, which is the topic of the engagement quality control review, where one of the related topics is the objectivity of the reviewer. And that's typically something that would be in the ethics uh, domain. So we have a small joint working group there, two from the IWSB, two from the ethics board, and they will bring that further. And we also established a kind of special liaison mechanism, our deputy chair, Megan Seatsman, and uh, from the ethics board, Sylvie Solier, will act as a liaison mechanism, in addition to, let's say, the responsibility of the technical directors, you, Matt, and Ken Siung at the ethics board, to, to uh, lead this process of, of coordination and bringing attention to, to, to the attention of the boards, what matters. So I was really delighted about this uh, joint session. With that, let me now hand over to uh, Fiona Campbell for providing an overview of the discussions on uh, 3.15, the, the very important uh, risk assessment standard. Fiona? Thank you, Arnold. So 
On Monday this week, we presented 315 and overall there was support for the general direction that we were headed. There were a number of areas where we got very strong support and, and I will talk briefly through those. Um, in terms of the definitions, there were mixed views on changing the definition of assertions. Uh, some believed it made the definition clearer while others were concerned about changing the definition as it's a, it's a well understood definition. Uh, in particular, there was some concerns around removing the reference to management representations. Uh, so several supported returning it to extant, but it is something that we will look at as a task force. There was support for developing a definition for relevant assertions, but again, we, we got some really good feedback that we now need to further consider around the threshold, in particular the, the phrase more than remote likelihood there was some concern that that may in fact expand the scope of the audit and may in fact impact the scalability, which is a really important objective of this project. So we'll look at that again as a task force. <coughs> Further consideration was, was suggested around relevant class of transaction account balance or disclosure and whether relevant was the right way to describe it. And connected to that, we still have on our to-do list to consider ISA 330 paragraph 18, as that links to our thinking on how we clarify relevant classes of transactions, et cetera. Uh, further consideration of new concepts being introduced, including terminology used in relation to the way some of those terms are used across the ISAs, and in particular, this was the word relevant as compared to the word significant, so we will look at that again. And the task force was also encouraged to further consider the changes being made around um, risks being identified and assessed. And this is really making sure that those changes still allow for flexibility, that the firms have different methodologies. So when you are assessing risk at the assertion level, making sure there is still enough flexibility. Um, Arnold prepared a, a draft flowchart for us as part of his pre-reading and preparation for the meeting, which was really helpful. And so we will be taking that flowchart and really trying to think about how we use that to, uh, to demonstrate how the, the ISA 315 requirements sort of hang together or drive the identifying and assessing the risk of material misstatements. Um, in terms of the uh, qualitative inherent risk factors definition, there was support for that definition. We were asked to reconsider whether that list of factors was in fact complete, and in particular also considering whether or not the susceptibility of fraud should be added back as a specific quirk, and if not, then how would fraud be connected and to be relevant for ISA 315 considerations. Um, we were also asked to make sure that it was clear the QERFs relate to inherent risks um, and also to try and think about how we might align our QERFs with the 540 risks that they have mentioned in their exposure draft. So we had a joint meeting, the 315 task force and the 540 task force during the week and discussed how we might start to align those particular factors. And we've agreed some ways that each of the task forces will try and address this concern moving forward. Generally, there was support for the changes we proposed in understanding the entity and its environment. We do still have some work to do around the understanding in relation to business models and business risks, and some additional considerations around the measures used in assessing financial performance, particularly external measures. And then obviously, professional scepticism cannot be forgotten, so some further consideration about how that might be built into this particular part of 315. In terms of internal control, 
there was broad support for calling it a system of internal control and not a process. There were some mixed views around the definitions we had of internal controls and controls, so we do need to revisit those and in particular um, some feedback around the phrase policies and procedures and whether or not we could work a way into the standard requirements and application material to make it clear that it's broader than just policies and procedures in the strict sense of those words. Um, and just some caution to make sure we don't um, don't use words that are different to the international recognised frameworks. We did take the words straight from COSO, so we'll just have to be careful we don't uh, play around with them too much. In terms of the components of internal control, we got excellent feedback here. I think this was probably one of the biggest areas where the feedback was that we maybe had changed things that had a profound impact on how people looked at controls. Um, we need to make sure that we we have, you know, we refocus as a task force on the work effort in understanding controls in each of the components. We need to think about how we bring back what felt in the feedback people thought we had lost, which is this focus on the flow of transactions in, in the information system component. And we'll really need to look at whether or not we need a definition around control activities, and that was something that all of us were stumbling over as we were working through the feedback. The concept of relevant to the audit is, is still an area of challenge for us, particularly when it comes to smaller, less complex audits where controls may not be relied upon, so we do need to focus on that as a task force as well. There was uh, very strong support for separating inherent risk and control risk assessment, which was, which was great to hear. Um, we just need to work through some practicalities of what that might mean, um, and then also some considering some further clarification on proposed revisions relating to the assessment of control risks. So we will look at that as well. So in terms of next steps, we will be bringing back to the board in October all things related to IT and then hopefully first read of our draft in December. Thanks, Arnold. Okay, and, and thank you, Fiona, for that update. Now, I'm going to turn to Megan to provide an overview of the discussions on quality control at the firm level and specifically engagement quality control reviews and documentation in relation to the firm's system of quality management. So, Megan, over to you. Thanks, Matt. So let me give you a little bit of an, <clears throat> an overview of our quality control-related discussions uh, this week. We talked to about, a we actually did a first read of um, an exposure draft of a new standard, which we would call ISQC2, which would deal with engagement quality control reviews. And we had a lot of very lively discussion um, with board members providing a lot of detailed suggestions and, and comments for the task force to work with. Um, in general, the board um, agreed that uh, the, the, the draft captured the purpose of an EQCR. We had a lot of discussion about what that should be and the fact that it, that it should focus on the significant judgments. There was acknowledgement that um, that really is the crux of it and it would be important to make sure that the way in which we set up significant judgments is clear um, and will help everybody in, in understanding that in terms of being able to apply the standard. Um, there was a suggestion that we could also consider explaining what an EQCR review is not, which may help actually clarify what it is. Um, there was some discussion about the balance between what requirements should stay within ISQC1 to really set up the EQC review as a, as a response to a quality risk and then what actually belongs in the separate standalone standard um, with some mixed views from some board members about the fact that maybe some of the existing content in the draft uh, should for, of ISQC2 should be moved back into ISQC1 
um, but with others thinking that the draft was um, was was in the right direction. Um, and maybe somewhat related to that, there was also a call for the working group to take a look at the PCOB standard, uh, AS 1220, or previously known as AS 7, um, with a call to, to look at the requirements in the PCOB standard and really look at where, the way in which those have been addressed and be able to explain differences that, that we may be taking in, in our approach. We were also asked to specifically uh, think about how the standard would apply to the public sector and also for sole practitioners. Um, so then just a few comments on some of the specific aspects. We talked about the scope of the engagements subject to the EQC review. Um, and in general, there was a lot of comment from the board to look at strengthening the proposals with specific calls to consider including entities that were in the process of, of listing or, or becoming um, listed entities. And then a focus on the need to consider entities with significant public interest. Um, and in particular, with a specific focus on, on banks and insurance companies. Um, and then also look at the, the notion of other engagements or, or classes of transactions or types of transactions that might have characteristics that, that would cause the firm to conclude that an EQC, was a, um, EQC review was an appropriate response. Um, it was, however, noted that you know, there was a lot of judgment to be applied here. And, um, and firms would need to be uh, thoughtful and careful in terms of how they set up those requirements. We then talk briefly about the objective, the proposed objective of the standard and the related definitions. Um, that there was a call to go back and relook at the um, objective specifically with respect to how it relates to the firm um, with a view that the objective at the firm level is really broader and around ensuring quality of engagements and putting in responses to address quality risks. Um, there was, uh, we had a fair amount of detailed discussion about the definition of EQC reviewer, and the board by and large supported not having a reference to team in the definition, but did um, call for the, the, the group to think a little bit more about how that concept of a team supporting the reviewer should be addressed. So some support for doing that in application guidance, um, and others thinking that, they, that you might need some requirements. So some work for the task force to, to look at there. Um, there was also um, some calls for looking at the way in which the uh, definition sets up a suitably qualified person um, and making it clear that that needs to apply to people within the firm who might be appointed to do the review um, as well as external uh, persons. Then we spent a fair amount of time talking about the eligibility criteria that might be used in determining whether or not the EQC reviewer um, is eligible to be appointed. Some uh, concerns were expressed by some members that, that the concerns seem to, sorry, that the criteria seem to set up some level of imbalance potentially um, relative to the eligibility and roles and responsibilities of the engagement partner. Um, and they thought that there could be more application guidance that would really explain how the criteria that were set forth really needed to be considered in, in combination. Um, there was also an, a view expressed that, that maybe the ordering of the criteria could be revisited to take away the focus that first and foremost it should be a consideration as to whether or not the person had enough time to perform the role. Um, and then lots of different comments on different aspects of the criteria to clarify them, maybe separate authority from competence and experience, um, maybe thinking about adding examples of safeguards that might be put in place where the authority of the EQC reviewer may or, or is uh, potentially uh, likely to be impaired. Um, there was a call to clarify some of the application guidance about 
the hierarchical structure or the reporting lines or the way in which a, a firm might be structured that with, with its chain of command and how that might impact on, um, on the EQC reviewer and, and the interactions relative to the engagement team. Um, and there was also a call to revisit the way in which the, uh, the notion of consultation with the EQC reviewer was being addressed. Um, general support for the proposals around the appointment of the EQC reviewer calls here specifically for more guidance on how sole practitioners would deal with, uh, deal with this. Um, and then a call also to make it clear that, that, that um, when somebody is, uh, when someone external to the firm is appointed, that um, there needs to be more in the standard to address what would be expected of the firm um, in that respect. So not just inquiry, but maybe something a bit more robust. And then we spent a time talking about what the EQC review should actually encompass. Um, and this really picked up on um, the need to have effective interactions with the engagement team, um, but also some, a fair amount of discussion on the proposed requirement around focusing on significant judgments, with some board members noting that the way in which the proposal had been set forth seemed to have broadened the responsibility of the EQC reviewer beyond the significant judgments, um, and some around the table questioned whether First, whether that made sense in light of what the objective um, and the purpose of the EQC review should be, but also just really the practicalities of the EQC review have been able to, to really look more broadly across the, um, the work papers or the engagement. Um, so some good comments there for the task force to continue to think about. Um, and then similar to Fiona's remark, there were, again, a notion of the, the, never to forget the reference to professional skepticism, and there was a call to more specifically incorporate the role of the EQC reviewer in challenging the skepticism of, that had been applied or exercised by the engagement team, and obviously also for the EQC reviewer himself or herself to be appropriately uh, skeptical in, their, in, in applying a challenging mindset. We've also spent a lot of time talking about documentation, um, and views were expressed that the proposed requirements should focus um, more on what to document and less on just the firm's policies and procedures, so more on the outcome as opposed to the process to get there. Um, and also some clarification that really is the EQC reviewer who's responsible for, for documenting, not necessarily the engagement team. Um, and, and a view that the documentation needs to be sufficiently robust to support after the fact inspection or, or monitoring types of activities. Uh, so I think, like I said, a very good discussion on, on our first read and um, the task force I think has a lot of material to think about. Um, and I think the board looks forward to seeing the, the next round of ISQC2. And then with respect to ISQC1, which you'll remember is our, um, our firm, our standard that addresses the firm's system of quality management, we just talked about one targeted topic here, and that was the question of documentation, which we hadn't previously talked about at the board level. Um, there was general support from the board members for the proposals of the working of the task force, with some various proposed uh, refinements to some of the wordings or, or concepts. Um, it was noticed that this would be another area where it would be important to think about scalability and, and have some explicit guidance about how this might work in a firm that was smaller or that had um, relatively less complex engagements. Um, there was a documentation, so an emphasis again here that uh, it shouldn't really be so much more about the documentation of the process, but um, more just about what the uh, what what the system entails and, and that would, in uh, in turn, support the ability for the system to be monitored. 
Um, there was also a suggested requirement that the responses could be more to a requirement to more specifically articulate the need to um, identify responses and then how they might address quality risks with a recognition that this might then better support the ability to pull in responses that might actually be um, executed at a network level, so for firms that are part of network structures. And it was also noted that the requirements should specifically call for the results of external inspections to, to be part of the documentation. Um, and then there was also a um, really maybe more of an overarching comment that it would be very good for the documentation of the um, the results of the monitoring activities and the documentation of the firm system to really be linked to the, the need for the firm to be able to demonstrate that the system is designed and, and, and operates to, a, to achieve reasonable assurance about the um, management of quality. Um, so like, that was, again, a very good discussion. And I think, Matt, if I will, if, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump into and talk about group audits as well, because I think that was another topic we talked about this week. Um, and as you know, I'm the chair of that group as well. So we had a brief discussion about group audits. Um, the working group or task force had brought to the board um, a brief project update, which we're planning to, um, or we, which we were proposing to clean up and, and publish. And the intent of that was really just to give um, everybody an update of as to what was happening with group audits, but also provide some vis visibility into how um, some of the issues that are in, may appear to have been group audit specific issues are really issues that, that need to and are being addressed in our quality control projects um, kind of at the foundational level and then the group audits uh, project will specifically pick up on those in the context of, of audits of group financial statements. Um, but also highlighting the need for some of the revisions in ISA 600 to also take account of the changes that are happening in the ISA 315 project. So the, um, the board was uh, generally very supportive of the task force's uh, draft of the project update. Um, there were a few comments for the task force to take away and, and clean up, um, really essentially in trying to make the message a little bit more clear, make it more focused specifically on the group audit issues and, and not necessarily make it look like it was about other issues. Um, and then just a, a call to go back and check that, that what was there was aligned with the project proposal. There was also a call for the group to be very transparent about the fact that, um, that, that there, there are resource constraints and the ability to, to progress with this project is really subject to, uh, subject to some resources having to become available, um, but also pointing out the fact that the board has a very uh, large number of other very high profile, very significant projects that um, are relevant or that are needing to be resourced both at the staff level and the board level. So that all kind of needs to be taken in, in context. But in general, the board was very uh, supportive of getting the project update, update out as soon as possible and the, the task force will be working to do that. Thanks, Matt. I'll pass it back to you. Okay, thank you, uh, Megan, for those comments. Appreciate that. Now over to Ron on agreed upon procedures. Ron? Thank you, Matt. I thought the board's discussions on the topic were extremely fruitful. Following its review of the overwhelming support expressed by a wide range of uh, stakeholders on the discussion paper, the views included in the discussion paper, uh, dealing with agreed upon procedures, which was issued in November 2016, the board agreed to review a project proposal to revise ISRS 4400, that's the standard dealing with AUP engagements. 
I'm delighted, I'm pleased to, to be able to report that the board unanimously approved the project proposal. During its review of the project proposal, the board noted, uh, one, the, the importance of the project, not only to SMPs and regulators, but an increasing number of uh, other stakeholders who are calling on uh, uh, the use of this particular mechanism to, to, to provide service. Secondly, the impact of the project on uh, IAASB staff resources was, was discussed and it was noted. It's largely mitigated by being able to second staff from a national standard setter to provide the, uh, the staff assistance under the direction of senior IAASB staff. And ch the board identified challenges that exist to deal with issues uh, related to, for example, professional judgment, independence, objectivity, and, and some other issues. A project task force will now commence its deliberations to address these challenges and, and, and issues. Uh, it'll be undoubtedly helped uh, by the very many uh, insightful responses that were received from uh, stakeholders. Uh, we expect to be able to report comprehensively on our deliberations to the board in uh, 2018. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Ron. Uh, obviously a, a good, uh, good result, and we look forward to that project progressing. Uh, Arnold, back over to you. There are some other topics that we discuss at our meeting, so maybe some update on those. Thanks. Yeah, sure. And uh, my congratulations to Ron and the task force. Will be a task force um, to uh, proceeding with this project. Very important, also for the large, let's say, SME, SMP stakeholder group that we are dealing with as well. Um, another important topic on the agenda was, of course, uh, this morning, uh, ISA 540. Um, uh, key standards on dealing with uh, estimates and also its importance triggered by IFRS 9 coming into force next year. Um, we had an exposure draft out uh, in April. We received in the end 68 comment letters and I'm really, the board is really very thankful to all those commentators for the well thought through and extended uh, comment letters. The task force has of course started to analyzing those, but appreciating that they came in around the beginning of August, but some even later. There of course could not be a full analysis yet. Um, that will come in our uh, extra October board meeting. Nevertheless, um, the chairs of the task force, the Charakor, Mark Picure, took uh, the board through um, a, a preliminary analysis of the comments received. And uh, thereafter, we had a round of, of first comments from all board members. In between of that, um, we had a presentation by uh, the PCOB, its uh, chief auditor, Marty Bauman, and Barbara Vanich, who is a PCOB observer in our ISF 40 task force. And that was uh, much appreciated by the board. Um, of course, as, as standard setters, we anyhow need to work together. We have done so in order to reporting. But here, all, many uh, comment letters also have urged us to, to further work together and also to look at uh, the merits of the, I, of the PCOB's exposure draft uh, on this the proposal. And uh, that, of course, will, will be done. So we're very pleased with this, this dialogue. Um, the board noted, I think, that there is much work to be done and it will be quite a challenge to finalize the standard in March uh, 2018. We will work very hard to doing so. But of course, um, it needs to be a quality standard in the end. 
Um, but to that end, we have an extra board meeting, again coming back on it in December and then, then March. Um, a couple of key issues, I think, is um, commentators appreciated the attention for what we call the, the, the risk factors of complexity and estimation uncertainty and, and judgment in the context of estimates, but they were struggling with how to place that in the context of the ISA 315 and 330 risk assessment methodology and the responses to the risks assessed. Um, that certainly will be something where we need to do uh, some thorough restructuring, not basically revising these concepts, but more to give it an appropriate place so that it fits in with the well-established uh, audit methodologies based on uh, 315. And the board was quite pleased with a joint task force meeting of 315 and 540 in the middle of this week, where you saw concepts coming together and uh, also more attention for the so-called spectrum of risks. Um, so uh, a promising area, but certainly very labor and time intensive. Also here, flowcharts uh, were, were complemented as being useful. But another area of struggle is the scalability. Uh, we had a clear attempt to doing so by making a distinction between low in hand risk and not low. Um, but overall I, th overall, I think the comment was, well, that's all very nice, um, but we need more, maybe more guidance, more example, how to do this in a uh, environment is maybe not completely low risk or completely simple, but nevertheless somewhere in between. So that's certainly also a, a challenge for the, the task force. Uh, of course, as always, I should say, uh, calls for further guidance. Um, we have to balance that as well. To what extent should that be in a standard and to what extent maybe in other ways. But as I said, uh, very interesting, very challenging, and uh, we will come back on that. A few other topics. We had a presentation by Bob Dorer, uh, the, the chair of the um, Data Analytics Working Group. Um, a while ago, we issued a request for input, and we got a lot of feedback on that one as well. Of course, an area of great interest to many, and there are clear links to a number of our standards. Um, so Bob provided an overview of uh, the comments, uh, further work for sure to be done. Um, they will further liaise with task forces like 315, but also quality control to 20 and group audits. Um, there might be a kind of a high level publication later on, uh, further roundtables. Um, so uh, there will be a lot to, to continue on data analytics. And I should also mention that in the joint board session that I mentioned earlier, um, it was noted that technology is, is an important area also from an ethics uh, perspective. So we also will look for ways to have a level of cooperation in a smaller group with the ethics board in this respect. Um, we heard a presentation um, by Marek Grabowski, who is chairing our IASB liaison group. This group provides comments to the IASB on drafts and, and consultation papers, but from an auditability perspective. And the IASB, uh, in particular through its member Mary Tokar, had asked uh, several occasions where we could be providing some guidance and that Marek explained how it may have resulted in, in some changes to, to their documents um, to make it more clear from an auditability, auditability perspective. Um, we will have a meeting with the IASB leadership uh, in October, and uh, I really enjoy this, this good level of cooperation. Uh, finally, Matt, my last point is on what we call emerging external reporting, which is much linked to the more known concept of integrated reporting. 
also here, Monica Lebowski is chairing a work effort. Um, and basically, as a follow-up to the, the discussion paper that we issued on this topic, and the feedback that we got from many, and, and Mark has talked us through that, um, we are looking forward to having a, a further project that will deal with, let's say, what can you do in terms of assurance in uh, this area of emerging external reporting, integrated reporting, etc. Um, but we have noted that we are really in this manner short of res uh, resources. Uh, that is money, but it's also staffing. As with all the projects that we have, have just been talking about, um, we're basically at the end of what we can do while we also are awaiting some new staff to come in. And therefore, we also received a presentation from Mario Abela from the World Business Council on Sustainability Development. And uh, they have offered that possibly we could, uh, could get a grant from the Moore Foundation that is supporting the work of this council. And uh, in the, our steering committee, we have discussed the first draft of a project proposal dealing with that, um, while of course uh, fully respecting the independence of the IWASB. But uh, such level of cooperation and support would be much appreciated. The project proposal will come to the board in October. Let me close there. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Arnold, and thank you everyone for those updates. And I, I know many stakeholders are looking forward to seeing the progression of these projects. So just before closing, just some, some quick announcements. Um, our next near-term meetings will be held October 24th and 26th and December 11th through the 15th, both held uh, here in New York. And just quickly in October, the board will consider issues and have discussions related to the you know, following matters, ISA 540 in particular, the feedback from respondents on the exposure draft, uh, ISA 315, and there we'll be talking a lot about in IT, information technology. Uh, again, and I, as Arnold mentioned, our, our work on IASB, a liaison will come to us uh, along with an emerging external reporting. Uh, we welcome, certainly, attendance at our meetings, and they're, they're open, and members of the public may register as observers. We ask you to do that early uh, as, as possible. The registration closes two weeks prior to the start of the meeting. Uh, you can find that registration at the, our website at IASB.org. So that really concludes, then, this podcast, and uh, meeting highlights and a full audio recording of the board discussions are also available on our website. And just to mention that listeners can also follow us on Twitter, and our handle is at IASB underscore dot news. And thank you very much for your listening and continued interest in the work of uh, the board.